0: Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Genesis chapter 49. It's not by accident that we preach on this passage this morning because we're preaching through the book of Genesis. And so we come to this little unusual passage as it talks about Jacob gathering all his family around and telling them what's going to happen to them and their family, their tribe in the days, in the years ahead. And so that's Genesis chapter 49. Follow in your Bibles as we read. If, and Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear ye sons of Jacob and hearken unto Israel your father. Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power, unstable as water. Thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed. Thou defilest thou it, he went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brethren, instruments of cruelty, and are in their habitations. O my soul, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly. Mine honor, be not thou united, for in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they dig down a wall. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey. My son, thou art gone up, he stooped down. He couched as a lion, as an old lion, who shall rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and in him shall the gathering of the people be, binding his foal unto the vine, and his ass's colt unto the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine, his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine, and his feet and his teeth white with milk. Zebulun shall dwell at the haven of the sea, and he shall... Be for an haven of ships, and his borders shall be in Zidon. Issachar is a strong ass couching down between two burdens. And he saw that that rest was good, and the land that it was pleasant, and bowed his shoulders to to bear, and became a servant unto tribute. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, an adder in the path that biteth the horse's heels, so that the rider shall fall backward. I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. Gad, a troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. Out of Asher his bread shall be fat, and he shall yield royal dainties. Naphtali is a hind let loose. He giveth goodly words. Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the wall. The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him, but his bow abode in strength, and the arms of, of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, even by the God of thy fathers who shall help thee, and by the Almighty who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lieth under, blessings of the breast and of the womb. The blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren. Benjamin shall raven as a wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. And this is it that their fathers spake unto them and blessed them Everyone, according to his blessing, he blessed them. And he charged them and said unto them, I am to be gathered unto my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is is before Mamre, in in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite for possession of a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife, There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife, and there I buried Leah. The purchase of the field and of the cave that is therein was from the children of Heth. And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you might give us understanding as we look at this passage today. It's an unusual passage for a message, and yet we believe there's much here for us to, to glean. And so we ask you to give enablement to bring the message, and may you bless the hearts of everyone who's here. If there be one here, Lord, today who has never trusted Jesus as their Savior, I pray they might realize the most importance of that, and today they might come to faith in you. Just pray that you give enablement now to bring the message. We'll thank you for what you accomplish, and Lord, we love you today. And I just pray that you might bless your people, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you had a large family and you knew that your death was going to be very soon and you called the whole family to your bedside for a last message and you sent out the word, I have a last message for you, I imagine that if your family could come, they would come. They would be very interested in what you had to say, and uh, they would want to know what you thought about their future, and it would be an interesting time. Well, that's exactly what happened to Jacob. He knew that he was going to die. It wasn't going to be long, and so he called all his family in. You remember he had 12 sons, so he called them all in. And they were gathered around him, and, his, and the picture seems to be that he, they were all gathered in a circle around him, and he just started with Reuben, and he went around, and uh, he got through all the sons and ended up with Benjamin. And so he tells all the all 12 of them things that were going to happen that, to them, and he says that, that, like this, he said it like this that which will befall you in the last days. So this is prophecy. So I've entitled the message, Deathbed Prophecies. This is; These are prophecies of what Jacob said was going to happen, and God was directing him to say this, what Jacob said was going to happen to his family individually to all their tribes. So Reuben represented a tribe, Issachar represented a tribe, and all, all three of those, they all represented tribes in the future. And so in the future, this was going to happen to them. So let's look at them one by one, and then we'll draw some lessons from this passage as we close the message. First of all, Reuben. This is found in verses 3 and 4. Reuben was the firstborn son. He was born to Leah, uh, Jacob's wife, and he was the firstborn. And so he says this about Reuben. This is what, who Reuben should be. And then he says, My might and the beginning of my strength. According to Deuteronomy 21, verse 17, this was said of other people who were the firstborn. They were the beginning of their strength. So you can imagine, here's a here is a young man who has his first child, and it's a boy. And uh, he has such great anticipation of this child. And he might say, you're the beginning of my strength, and you are to be the excellency of the Father's dignity and power. I mean, this is a real blessing to have this son. That's who you should be, Reuben. But... Then he says this, Reuben, you are unstable as water. And why did he say that? Because Reuben was the one, you remember, it's recorded in Genesis 35, verse 20, 22, that Reuben went up to the bed of, of Jacob's wife, Bilhah. Uh, she was like a concubine, but also considered a wife. And uh, he went up to her bed. He committed adultery with her, so that was incest. And he said, Reuben, you're as unstable as water. And the result of that, he says, is this. Thou shalt not excel. Reuben, you will not excel. What a sad message for the oldest to get from his dad at his deathbed. Your future is you will not excel. And so the tribe of Reuben never had anybody that, was, that furnished, never ha- furnished any leader to the nation of Israel. Nobody is known for their leadership in the nation of Israel, that was from the tribe of Reuben. When Deborah and Barak went to war against Sisera, Reuben refused to go up and help. And so Reuben really had a bad character, and it seemed to go on down through all of his family for years to come, and that was the prophecy about Reuben. Then he goes to Simeon and Levi. Now, Simeon and Levi were also sons of, of Leah, and they were the second and third son of Jacob. Simeon and, Le- Le- Simeon and Levi always appear together, together, and they're sort of like uh, brothers that are close. And so the Lord pictures them together. And he says of them, you're instruments of cruelty. Now, why would he say that? Well, we know because we've studied through Genesis that that goes back to the time that Simeon and Levi found out that the, the Shechem had uh, committed fornication with their sister Dinah. And they were all upset with that about that. And so the Shechemites wanted to make peace with the Israelites. And so Simeon and Levi deceived them and met with them and said, all right, we will. We'll do that. We'll let you have our sister, and we will marry your, your, your girls, and you, the, men, the girls can marry our men. We'll intermarry you. There's only one thing you need to do, and that is all the ma- men need to be circumcised like we are. And so after they were circumcised, and they were all sore, Simeon and Levi came in with their swords, and they killed every one of them. Not only the man that committed the sin, but all of them. His dad and all the rest of them. All the men, all the men of Shechem there, he, they killed them all. And so it was a terrible thing. And Jacob was embarrassed by it. He said, you make me to stink to all the inhabitants of, of, of the land because of what you've done. And he says, in their anger they slew a man and in their self-will they dig down the wall. Now, you look at other translations, and the Hebrew there is a little tricky, but dig down the wall was also translated hamstrung the oxen. And if that's what they did, then that was very bad too because the oxen were what the people used to farm with, and so they hamstrung them. They cut that um, tendon, I guess it was, in the back of the legs so they cannot be used. And so they're very destructive. They killed all the men, and then they, they did this to their oxen. And so they were, they were cruel men. And it said in verse 7, Cursed be your anger, for it was fierce, and your wrath, for it was cruel. And he said, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So that's what happened. He's, he's prophesying what's going to happen. Now you need to remember, or we need to remember, that Jacob's standing there, and his sons are gathered around him, and their future is ahead of them, of course. And they don't know what's going to become of their families. They're just starting out. They don't know what's going to happen in years to come to their family. So Jacob is telling them prophecies of what's going to happen. And he says, I'm going to, I will divide you in Jacob and scatter you in Israel. So semi-inheritance, if you look at a map, and you might have wondered about this when you look at a a map back in those days, and it shows the tribes of Israel. And you'll find Judah. Judah's this land is like this. And right in the middle of Judah's land, like a circle, is Simeon. And so the Bible describes that he's within Judah. And so that's like a punishment. It's not all by himself. He's sort of surrounded by Judah. And so he says, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Levi, at this time, was not the priestly tribe. Later, they became the priestly tribe. But they were scattered in all of Israel because one of the things the Lord did was said, you're not going to have an inheritance, Levi. You won't have a a large land of inheritance. But you will have 48 cities that will be scattered throughout all the land of Israel. And so that was part of the prophecy that God gave uh, to Simeon and Levi. And then it goes to Judah. Now, Judah was the fourth son of Leah. And it says in verse 8 of, of this passage that uh, Judah, let's go back to chapter 49, verse 8. And he says, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be to the, in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. So Judah is going to be the one that their bro, the brothers praise. And he says they will bow down before you, and uh, he says of them that of of Judah that he will punish his enemies. His hand will be on the neck of his enemies. So here, here you have a prophecy that Judah standing there. You know he doesn't know what's in the future, but Jacob says Judah, you're become a leader in in the, land, in the ch- among the children of Israel, and you will be like a lion. You'll be like a young lion who's caught his prey. You know you don't dare mess with a young lion. And like the old lion who's laying down and you don't approach the old lion, he's known for his uh, ferocious attitude and you're not going to approach him. And Judah, you're going to be like the lion. And then he says something else about Judah. Judah, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Now the scepter was what the king held out. It was a symbol of rulership. And so he's saying here to 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 his 12 sons, there's one among you that's going to be the ruler. He's going to rule over all of Israel, and that's the tribe of Judah. Now, we know this is a prophecy because this didn't happen. This never even started until 640 years after this. For example, let's look at some of the leaders that, that were in the Israel after this. Moses was from the tribe of Levi. Joshua was from the tribe of Ephraim. Gideon was from the tribe of Manasseh. Samson from Dan. Samuel from Ephraim. Saul from Benjamin. And finally, David from Judah. So 640 years later, after Jacob says this, then Judah becomes the one who's, who's the ruler. And from him on, everybody that's, that that's, has the right to rule over Israel is of Judah. And uh, he says, until Shiloh come. Now, Shiloh is a word that means that he will bring peace. He's the one who brings peace. Shiloh. It's a name, I believe, and many people believe, that it's a name for Jesus. He's the Messiah, he's the promised one. And so, starting with David, and all the way through Jesus, it will be the, tr- the throne will be through Judah. And Jesus is of the tribe of Judah, and so he will be Shiloh. Unto him shall be the gathering of the people. And I believe that means that uh, unto Jesus, unto Shiloh, the gathering of the people, that's when he destroys all of his enemies, and he gathers all the people to begin his millennial reign upon this earth, which will last for 1,000 years upon this earth. And Jesus will do that. Verses 11 and 12 are interesting verses binding his foal a- upon the vine and his ass's colt upon the choice vine? You don't, you don't, don't tie a dog, a donkey to a vine. <laughs> I mean, he'll eat it, <laughs> he'll pull it up. But what it's saying is, the the time at this going to This is going hap- to happen. It's going to be so bountiful, so plentiful that uh, there will be no problem. Go ahead and tie the donkey to. To that, it's not, There's going to be so many more vines, it won't matter. And so that's what he's saying in, this, in these verses, I believe. And he's talking about, he washed his garments in wine, his clothes in the blood of the grapes, his eyes should be red with wine, his teeth white with milk. It's talking about uh, people who are vibrant and healthy, and uh, there's food everywhere, there's plenty. And so he's speaking of the plenty that's, that's going to happen during the millennial reign of Christ, who is Shiloh. And so that speaks of Judah. He'll be the ruling one. And then it goes to Zebulun. Verse 13, Zebulun's territory lay between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea. And it says in verse 13 of Zebulun, Zebulun shall dwell at the haven of the sea, and he shall be for a haven of ships, and and his border shall be unto Zidon. This is an interesting verse, and... Uh, hard to understand sometimes because if you look at the map and you look at the boundaries that God gives to the children of Israel, you'll find that Zebulun is really not, doesn't touch the sea either way. It's between. And on the, close to the Mediterranean Sea, there's Asher. Close to the Sea of Galilee, there's Naphtali, And Zebulun's in between. But a trade route went through Zebulun. And so it was noted that Zebulun had, had interactions with both seas. And there was a lot of trade going on between them. And that might be what it means. But he's projecting in the future, Zebulun's standing there. He knows nothing about what's going to happen in his family. And he says, you're going to end up being one that's, that's affected by the sea trades. And so that's Zebulun. Next one is Issachar. He says, Issachar, as a, strange, as a strong ass couching down between two burdens. Now, look at verse 14 and we'll see what it says again. Issachar is a strong ass cast, 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 casting down, cast, couching down between two burdens. So he's two donkeys, and they're bearing a burden, and uh, they're burdened down with this burden. And he saw that the rest was good and the land that it was pleasant, and he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant unto tribute. Many believe that's, this means that uh, this, this tribe... Uh, was one who was given to agriculture and hard work, and they worked well, and they they did that. But also they became, in the end, servants to others who took advantage of them. But these were working people, hard-working people, the tribe of Issachar. And then it goes to Dan, verse 16. He shall judge his people, it says. Samson was from Dan. And we know that one of the judges, who was Samson, who wasn't the best, of course, but he was one of the judges of of Israel in the period of the judges. And he judged Israel for 20 years. And so that fulfills this part that he will judge uh, his people. He shall also be a serpent by the way. This is an interesting verse. Look at verse 17. Dan shall be a serpent by the way and adder in the path. So a snake along the path and a horse is going by. And this snake, which seems little and insignificant compared to the big horse, uh, really causes some problems because he, he bites the horse's heels so the rider shall fall off backward. So you can see the picture. The snake bites the horse, and the horse rears up and throws the, throws the rider off. A little thing, snake, compared to big horse, he causes a lot of trouble. And he says, that's Dan." Now, that might mean that he was small, but he had the force which was mighty to be reckoned with. But it also might have reference to the fact that Dan, the tribe of Dan later, many years later, was the one who introduced idolatry into the children of Israel, or officially anyway, because, you remember, they, they actually took a graven image, and uh, a Levite with the graven image, and they set up idolatry and worship that graven image that was Dan, it tells us about it in judges chapter eighteen verses thirty to thirty one When the kingdom was divided, Jeroboam later after David you know, and then Solomon and then on down, and then the kingdom was divided between Jeroboam and Rehoboam. The Bible says that Jeroboam set up one of the golden calves in the in the city of Dan. that means that Dan was accustomed to idolatry and it didn't bother them that he did that. He set up a golden calf in Dan. That to Israel was like a snake messing everything up, taking the children of Israel back into idolatry. And so God, Jacob says this about Dan. You remember, Dan standing there doesn't know anything about what's going to happen in his future, but Jacob just told him, your people are going to be a problem to the children of Israel, like a snake that makes a, a horse throw off its rider. Now that might be the reason that Dan is not mentioned in, in Revelation chapter 7. I remind you what Revelation 7 does says. And that is, that's where it's saying during the tribulation period there are going to be 144,000 witnesses. And there will be 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel. And he lists the tribes... But one tribe that is not list, listed, one tribe that does not appear in that list is the tribe of Dan. Levi's there, but Dan does not appear in that tribe. Maybe that's God's way of just saying, "Look, you messed up so bad, I'm not even going to use you as one of my witnesses during the during the tribulation period." At this point, Jacob just out of the blue, just says something in verse 18. Notice what he says. I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. Now you might wonder, why did Jacob say that at this time? <laughs> He's going through all these sons and telling the prophecy, and then he says, I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. I don't know. Maybe we'll ask him when we get to heaven. But it could be that when he mentioned, mentioned the snake, when he mentioned that the snake caused the rider to, the horse to rear up and lose its rider, it might have reminded him what Genesis 3 verse 15 said. Remember what it said? It says, the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. And that was a prophecy of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the Messiah, who would come to be the Savior of the world. The seed of the woman, the virgin birth, Mary the virgin gave birth to a child. Usually it's the seed of the man, but it's the seed of the woman. Uh, Mary gave birth to a child. That was Jesus. And, uh, and maybe Jacob recognized that. That was a reference to the coming Messiah, the coming Savior. And he just blurted out, and he said, I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. When he says that, it's interesting what he does. now I'm, I'm not good at Hebrew. I studied it when I was in school, but didn't do very well, and I, I don't know any Hebrew really. All I do is all I know is what I read, and so I read that the Hebrew word there is for salvation is Yeshua. Yeshua. What does that word mean? It's the word that's translated also in the Bible, Joshua. It's the equivalent of the Greek word Jesus. And so he says, I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. It's like he's waiting for Jesus. Well, Jesus has come, of course, and uh, he is the Savior. It's interesting, that's the first time in the Bible that the word salvation is mentioned. It's right here in this verse. And then the next tribe is that of Gad. Look at verse 19. Gad means a troop. That's what the term means. Gad means it's a troop. And sort of a play on the word, words, he says, A troop shall overwhelm him, but he shall overcome at the last. The troop shall be overwhelmed by a troop, but he shall overcome at the last. Gad's land was located on the, on the east side of the Jordan River. So it was not protected by the Mediterranean and you know all the children of Israel in that area. It was on the east side, and therefore it was it was susceptible to enemies coming in. And Gad often was attacked. But he says, That will happen, but you will overcome them in the end. So Gad will be will be a true he is a troop and he will overcome troops. And then verse verse twenty speaks of Asher. Asher, it says, his bread shall be fat, and he shall yield royal dainties. Now, we don't know exactly what that means, but the word Asher, the name Asher, means happy or blessed. And he says, Asher, his bread shall be fat. They were agricultural people, and they're very productive, and they produced things that were food for kings. And so he's telling Asher as he stands there, now your people in the future are going to be agricultural people. They were located in the lowlands of Carmel, which is fertile area, and so they became agricultural people. And then he goes to Naphtali, verse 21. He says, he's a hind let loose. Now, hind, that was like a doe or a deer. Let loose. Well, Naphtali was located in the hill country. And he says he was like a hind let loose. In other words, he, he was, they were free-spirited people. But then he says he giveth goodly words. That means they were poetic people. So, naturally people are going to be free-spirited people living in the hill country who were given to poetry. Now, the only example I know of that is when Deborah and Barak fought Sisera. And uh, Sisera was defeated, and then Deborah and Barak sang a song. They wrote a song and sang that song. And Barak was from the tribe of Naphtali. And so that was an incident where he was poetic in his words. He was a a man of words, or they were people of words, and so they had that ability. And then it comes to Joseph. The longest description is of that of Joseph begins in verse 22. He says he's a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the wall. Speaking of, of uh, just being fruitful and plentiful and, and uh, blessed. He says the archers shot at him and hated him. That was a reference to his brothers. Remember when they sold him into slavery, they took off his coat of many colors, threw him down the pit, and then sold him to the Ishmaelites off into slavery. They thought he had died. And so they, they hated him. They shot at him with their arrows. But it says this, but he remained strong. Now this is, if you look at it, this is past tense. His bow remained strong. His arms were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence, from the mighty God of Jacob, is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. I believe that's Jesus. The shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of thy father who shall help thee. And so from the God of Jacob comes the shepherd, the stone, the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the God of thy thy father who shall help thee. He changes from the past tense that he helped that he did this. He remained strong. You were made strong to shall shall bless thee. So in the future, your people will be blessed just like you were, Joseph. And your people will be blessed with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep beneath, you'll be blessed, and you'll be blessings of the breast and the womb. So there'll be uh, many come from you. And so, Joseph, you're going to be a blessed tribe. God's going to see to that. Now, Jacob testified to his blessings in verse 26, and he said, "Uh, God has blessed me, and as God has blessed me, he's going to bless you too, Joseph. And so he's gone through now 11 names of the 12 tribes of Israel when he comes to the last. The last is Benjamin. Now, up to this point in the story, we think of Benjamin as a great, great kid, and by this time, he's in his 20s probably, and uh, so here's Benjamin, and he says of Benjamin, and his brothers love him, you know, uh, they didn't like Joseph so well, but they've grown to love Benjamin, and even willing to give their life for Benjamin, But he says of Benjamin, it's sort of surprising. He says, Benjamin shall raven as a wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. I can just imagine we're standing around there, the brothers standing around Jacob, and they've all heard their prophecy. (laughs) And it gets to Benjamin. They love Benjamin. They think highly of Benjamin. And then Jacob comes out with something like that. Benjamin, you're like a ravening wolf and you'll catch your prey and devour it, and you'll divide the spoils at at night. Uh, Benjamin, you're like a ravening wolf. Well, did that happen? Did that come true for Benjamin? Uh, Seems like a nice Benjamin. Did that come true for his people that would follow him? Yes, it did. In fact, in the book of Judges, we find a very disturbing account. I don't know if you've ever read it. If you haven't, you should go home and read it. It'll almost turn your stomach, but it's, uh, it's there in the Bible. And it's the account of a, a Levite who had a concubine. I mean, God just tells the truth about these people. And uh, this Levite, his concubine left him, so he went to get her. And then when he found her, he was taking her back home. And on the way back home, he stopped at a city by the name of Gibeah. And while he was at Gibeah, the homosexuals of that area gathered around and knocked on the door and said, send that man out. We want to know him. Well, you know what that means. They were wicked. And so these are people from Dan and they're wicked. And this, uh, I mean, from Benjamin and this city of Gibeah was from Benjamin and they were wicked people. And they wouldn't send the man out, so they sent his concubine out and they abused her all night long to the, to the place where she came home that next morning and she fell on the, on the doorstep outside the home and when he opened the door, there she lay and she was dead. And then you remember the story. If you haven't read it, you want to look it up. That Levite took that, that dead body and cut it up into pieces and sent it to all the tribes of Israel. And they all got all upset, and they all came to, to settle the score and to, and to make Benjamin pay for what they did. And all of Benjamin gathered together, and they were willing to fight for this sin. They were willing to fight for the people who, the, the people who did this. They were willing to fight for them. And so Benjamin was showing his true colors and Benjamin standing there around Jacob would have been totally surprised, I'm sure, that his offspring would ever turn to something like that. But that was going to happen in the future. And maybe that's why, why he references them like that. Benjamin also became distinguished as warriors. The Bible says in the book of Judges that they had, among their warriors, they had 700 left-handed men. Who were very skilled at slinging a sling and hitting something that they that they aimed at, I can remember in college in North Carolina, we had some Arab students there that were good at slingshots, not this kind, but just slingshots and they would go out in the barn and they would and they would kill all these pigeons up in the barn. I mean this has been fifty some years ago, but I still remember them doing that. Well, these Benjamites were good at slinging a a stone. And the Bible says there were 700 left-handed men and they could sling a stone at hair's breadth and not miss. That was some of the Benjamites. And they were known for being warriors, but they were not good people. Verse 28 sums it all up and says, All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, they're just men standing around right now. But he says, all these are the 12 tribes. These are the beginnings of the 12 tribes of Israel. And Jacob has just given prophecies concerning each of them. And then the Bible says that Jacob gave his last command and then he died. His last command in verses 29 to 32 was something that he had told Joseph earlier. And that is, I'm going to die soon. And when I die, you make sure you take me back and bury me in the burying place where Abraham and, uh, and uh, Sarah were buried where Isaac and Rebekah were buried and where I buried Leah in the cave of Machpelah. I want you to take me back there and bury me. And then the Bible says after he said all of that, God must have given him strength to say all that he said, and then he gathered up, he put his feet up in his bed, laid down, and died. And that was the end of Jacob. Now, As we close the message, I just want to try to draw some practical lessons from this passage. What can we learn from this? Well, first of all, we learn this. Be sure your sin will find you out. Numbers 32 verse 23 says that statement. Galatians 6 verse 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Reuben reaped what he sowed. He lost his birthright before a night of sin with Bilhah. And he did it in secret in the night, probably. But it was revealed here in the open. And his dad, after all these years, says, Reuben, you have lost all that you should have had as the firstborn son, and you're unstable as water, and you'll never succeed. You'll never prosper because of that. Reuben reaped what he sowed. Simeon and Levi reaped what they sowed. They lost their honor and they received a curse from Jacob. During their killing spree, they probably thought it was a great satisfaction that they were getting revenge for what what this one man did to their sister. And in getting revenge for that one man's sin, they killed all the men. But they were probably happy to do it at that time because they were so mad. But soon after that, that satisfaction left, and they reaped what they sowed. Joseph's brothers reaped what they sowed. They they had kept the secret for many years, but the time came when they had had been revealed that they had sold Joseph into slavery, and their dad found out about it, and he even references it in, in this, how they shot at him and they hated Joseph, and they were reaping what they sowed. Another thing is this. Your wrong decisions will affect those who follow you in the future. Your wrong decisions will affect those who follow you in the future. Reuben's family suffered because of his sin. The Bible says, thou shalt not excel. I imagine there were some in Reuben's family later who had, had um, ideas that they would be able to become a leader and do great things, but none of them were able to do that. Why? because they were reaping what Reuben sown, and it was affecting them. Many times our our sin affects those who follow us. Also, Simeon and Levi. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in, in in, in Israel. This was about their descendants, what was going to happen to them. Simeon became the weakest tribe in all the 12 tribes of Israel. And Levi became, of course, A ones who did not get an inheritance of land only had cities, and uh, it might be because of Simeon's sin that Moses left Simeon out when he was blessing all the tribes of Israel. You find that account in in Deuteronomy thirty-three, and you list, you look there, and you see all the tribes listed except Simeon, and he's not there. You see, you will, you what you do, the sin you commit. The things you do that dishonor the Lord are going to affect those who follow you. And we need to remember that. It's a lesson from this passage. Another lesson is this. God is a gracious God. God is a gracious God. Judah was restored to favor even though he was the one that suggested that they sell Joseph into slavery. Judah was restored to favor probably because he offered himself as surety for Benjamin. You remember he pled with his dad and said, if you'll let Benjamin go, because the ruler down there in Egypt says he must come, if you'll let him go, I'll be surety for him, and I'll take all the blame if anything happens to him. And then you remember before Joseph, he just pled with Joseph, and he said, please, don't don't keep Benjamin here. I will stay in his place. Don't do this. It'll bring great harm to my dad. Uh, Don't do this. And so God probably... Let Judah, in the eyes of his people, let him regain rulership, some respect among them. And you remember, notice in this passage that of Judah, the sin with Tamar was never mentioned. His sin with Tamar, it was never mentioned. Why is that? It's grace. God was gracious to him and allowed him to be the one through whom the Messiah would be born because Jesus came through Judah. That's grace. And then Levi. Levi became the priestly tribe. He was one of those. Simeon and Levi destroyed all those people. Ruthless people they were. And yet God allowed Levi to be the tribe through all the who all the priests would come. See, Moses was from Levi. Aaron was from Levi. And maybe because Levi was the one who stood up. You remember when the uh, Moses came down from the from the mountain and uh, they had the, twel- had the had the had uh, the table of stone with the ten, ten commandments written on it, and Aaron was leading the people in calf worship they'd made a golden calf and they worshiped it and uh jo- and Moses got so mad and upset, and he said, "Who is on the lord's side?" and the bible says all of, of, of the sons of Le- all the people of Levi gathered to Moses and said, We are. And so they made a great change. And the Lord probably honored them and allowed them to be the priestly tribe. What is that called? It's called grace. Also, by grace, God ordered that all three of those people that had disqualified themselves Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. If you look at Ezekiel chapter 48, you'll find that God lists all of those in the millennial reign of Christ and gives them an allotment of land. God is gracious. Should that surprise us? No, because we who have trusted Jesus as our Savior, we're going to go to heaven. I'm a child of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I have bold access. Anytime I want to, I can talk to the God of heaven. Do I deserve that? Do you deserve that? No, it's grace. It's all by grace. Grace is in this passage, and we know something about grace. Another lesson is this. God keeps his promises. His promise to bless Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that in thee all nations, all families of the earth will be blessed. Despite this dysfunctional family that we've just read about in this passage, all these brothers and all that was going to happen with them, despite all this dysfunctional family, Out of that, the Lord still sent the Messiah, and he kept his word, and he said, all nations of the earth will be blessed. And that came through Judah, and and he's known as, in this passage, Shiloh. He's called the Savior, he's called the Shepherd, and he's called the Stone. Yes, God has provided the only way to heaven, and that's Jesus, and he came through this family. So that is wonderful how God has blessed the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that he would come to die for us. But then there's another lesson I want to draw, and with this we'll close, from this passage. Oftentimes we get in discussions about people about election and predestination and all that and the sovereignty of God. I am a firm believer in the sovereignty of God. I believe in election. I believe in predestination. You say, why do you believe that? Well, if you don't believe it, you'll believe the Bible. (laughs) Because the Bible says that. The Bible uses those terms and everything. But we need to understand something. What is prophesied about Reuben, Simeon, and Levi was a result of their actions. God prophesied what's going to happen, and uh, God was making the choice. Yes, God was determining this, but... It was a result of their actions. So their actions were part of God's reasoning in all of this. And so God is sovereign, but man is also responsible. God is sovereign and he does as he he pleases. He has the right to choose and and, uh, and and to do what he wants to do. God can do that. But we are never to say in discussing this subject that Man has no say in what happens. That is not true. I heard someone preach not too long ago by by a sermon audio I was listening to a message, and the guy actually said, now some of you out there, if you're elect, you can be saved. for the rest of you, those of you who are not, I can't do anything to help you. What was he saying? He was saying that if you're not elect then you don't have anything to say about it. You can't do anything. Uh, you couldn't be saved if you wanted to be. Well, that's not true. That's a wrong presentation of that subject. God never, we're never to say that man has nothing to do with what happens because he does. If you go to heaven, my friend, it'll be because you trusted Jesus as your Savior. <laughs> Let me put it like this. Nowhere in Scripture do we find God taking responsibility for Adam and Eve's sin. God never takes responsibility for that sin. Nowhere do you find God taking responsibility for your sin or my sin. God always takes the credit for saving a soul, but God never takes the credit for a soul being lost. It's like this. John three sixteen says, For God so loved the world, all the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him in that world would be saved. He gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever believeth in him shall be be saved, and shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He's talking about everybody. And then he says this, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. God takes the credit for saving a soul, but God never takes the credit for a soul being lost. It's your fault if you don't go to heaven. It's not God's fault. So the whole discussion about election, predestination, some people take the sovereignty of God's side and they forget the responsibility of man's side. And you might say, well, those don't don't fit. If if God is sovereign, then man doesn't have anything to do with it. Oh, yes, he does. (laughs) Yes, he does. The Lord says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can be saved. I don't care who you are. As I've said before, you cannot take the gospel to the wrong house because you take the gospel and you tell people Jesus died for you. That's true. He died for you. Those who believe in this strict uh, definition of election also believe, it's called, they're called five-point Calvinists. They also believe in limited atonement. And that means that Jesus only died for the elect. That is not true. Jesus died for everyone. And so this passage tells us we are responsible. We are responsible. And Reuben was responsible, and Simeon was responsible, and Levi was responsible. They were responsible. And so we have to say that God loves everybody, and God sent his son to die for everybody. And anybody who will trust Jesus as their Savior, they can be saved. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 says, But the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And they died for all, that they which should live, should not live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose and rose again. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespass unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now we we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. So we go with the message to everyone, be reconciled to God. And if you will trust Jesus, you can be saved. You don't say... Well, if you're elect, you can be saved. No, you say anybody can be saved because Jesus died for everybody. Jesus died for all sins. There is no such thing as a limited atonement. First John chapter two, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That sounds like everybody. In first second Peter chapter two, he's talking about false teachers. They shall bring up damnable heresies even and they deny the Lord that bought them. What's that say? False teachers who bring in damnable heresies, they teach things that are not true. The Lord died for them. They deny the Lord that bought them. He died for them. They can be saved if they will just believe on Jesus Christ and trust Him as their Savior. Today we can predict your future. Mine and yours as well. I can predict your future. If you trust Jesus as your as your savior, your future will be will be that of eternal life and you'll be with the Lord, you'll dwell in the Lord with the Lord forever and ever and ever. That'll be your future. It's a wonderful future. But I can also predict your future if you don't trust Jesus as your savior. And that is if you don't trust Jesus as your savior, you'll die without without Christ. You'll die without hope, and you'll experience what's called the second death, and that is you'll spend eternity, in first of all, in hell, and then hell is going to be delivered into the lake of fire, and you'll spend eternity in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. And that's a proper prediction. That's a proper prophecy of you if you don't trust Jesus as your Savior. And whose fault will it be? It'll be yours. It won't be God's. Jesus died for everybody. And so this passage teaches us that God is sovereign, but man is responsible, and you will determine whether you go to heaven or not by what you do with Jesus Christ. And if you've never trusted Jesus, I hope today you will trust him. The choice is really up to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for allowing us to examine this difficult passage and I pray that we've learned some valuable lessons from it. And Lord, nothing, if nothing else, may we, all, may we remember that we have a future. And that future is going to be dependent on what we do with Jesus. And our future for our, those who follow us will be dependent upon how we live for Jesus. And I pray that we'll have some things in our life that will be a great hope and a great blessing to those who follow us. Help us to live the life that you want us to live. And may we someday hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We pray in Jesus' name.